I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Green is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 456, How to Train Your Dragon 3. What? It's not the title of the movie. There's no three of the title. There's not? Well, no. I don't give it enough. To <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. What is Hidden Ranch Valley Dressing? What is it? Hidden Ranch Valley Dressing. Yes. Is, yeah. You got it. <laughs> I... I like is that well, what? Yeah, it's just it's one of those you know sometimes yeah, no, you totally. get the number and sometimes you get just the subtitle. And yeah, it's getting confusing because the second one was just a number. It was How to right. Train Your Dragon two, and this one is just the Hidden World. Doesn't that kind of screw up like the the numbering system or like when you put your DVDs alphabetically or whatnot? Because mm-hmm. you know, well, I guess you have numbers and then title. You couldn't go title and then a number. That would screw it up. You know, because one. I'm used three, to comic books where it's all alphanumerical. Yeah. But but then you get really screwed up because then you have all the you know, the, you have like Spider Man has like nine different books now and yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it all goes back to Rambo. Rambo started that. Oh right, with the screwed up yeah, yeah. Rambo two first blood. It was like no, so it goes. Well, hang on. First off, let's introduce ourselves. We have a guest <laughs> who's sitting there is like, can I talk? Can I not talk? So uh, so joining us today uh, via Skype a phone is uh, J D Duran from the In Session Film Podcast. Hey, uh, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. So when Kevin invited me on, I geeked out in joy, <laughs> and here I am. So thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be Thank here. Thank you for taking time out of your day. And before uh, we get too far afield, as I like to say, uh, everyone else uh, can go around the table and, and introduce themselves. Yeah, my name is Steve Kelly, and I'm a writer with the uh, Review STL. And this is Kevin. I'm a co-host of the Real Spoilers Podcast. And I'm Tom. I'm uh, <laughs> visiting from the Clip Out Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> JD, Tom has an, another podcast that uh, he's way more popular than this one, and so <laughs> he's now a guest. He's now yeah, a guest. Now I'm, a guest I'm guest on 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 our own podcast because <laughs> the other one's so much more popular. 
which is it's all about fitness which i know looking at me you're like what and <laughs> you're right that's part of the joke is that i don't do it jd does a mm-hmm. podcast with brendan and i want i want him to tell mm-hmm. people a little bit about Absolutely. his podcast but he had me on the podcast to talk about mid 90s and so i really appreciated mm-hmm. them having me on to talk about yeah. that one and why don't you tell people a little bit about the show yeah so like you said i co-host with uh, my good friend brendan cassidy and we uh, typically review some sort of new release, but we try to vary it up between uh, you know some of your bigger films, but we will throw in some of your smaller indie films or art house films. And we couple that with some sort of top three list that we do each week on the show. Um, we have a, a Friday show that's entirely dedicated to indie films and art house films as well. So yeah, we're... We're expanding out. We got a new Oscar show as well that comes out every other week. So yeah, our our little brand over here is doing new things, which is both exciting and frustrating to my wife. But you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Well, and and you know, their their show, they're one of those smart podcasts with the show prep and the segments, and the, oh. they know what they're talking about type <laughs> things. That sounds like a lot of work. No wonder yeah. your wife's mad. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a great yeah. show, though. I mean, those, it is a lot of work. <laughs> they know their stuff, and so it's always a pleasure to Thank listen you. to. And I'm really excited to have JD on. Yeah, my other podcast is like that, but uh, but my wife does all that, so. <laughs> makes it easier. <laughs> nice. See, you need to have your wife join yeah. your podcast, JD. That's the solution. Well, before we had Sam, um, our our son, she she did guest a few times, uh, probably begrudgingly, but she was definitely on the show. If you go back to the archive back in 2014, she joined us for uh, what was it uh, Fifty Shades of Grey? Ah, see, others, that's the smart way. You know, so she was. There. We did that too. Yeah. <laughs> we had our wives on and did like a couples episode for the Fifty, which is smart. Yeah. Like, put them on the dirty episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just research, honey. Exactly. I, and, and she joined me for about time as well in 2013, and that was one she genuinely enjoyed. Like, she liked that movie. She liked talking about it. It was like the one and only time she's ever participated in any sort of way. <laughs> Uh, where she actually liked it. <laughs> Other than that, I think she just puts up with it. But I'm grateful because she's been doing that for six years now. Yes, it's nice to find one that'll let you do that. Put up with your yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> Especially post having a kid because anyone that's a parent knows that things get much more amplified when you have a little toddler running around. So the fact that she's still putting up with it uh, is amazing. So I'm very, very grateful. Awesome. Well, circling back around, we were talking about Rambo. So Rambo goes First Blood mm-hmm. and then Rambo, First Blood 2, and then Rambo 3. <laughs> so there was never a Rambo 2. Oh, that's right. The movie was called First Blood, right? It wasn't, the, it wasn't the, even the, called right, Rambo. The, right. They tried to do the Indiana Jones thing where yeah. they went back in time and called it like and called it Rambo, Rambo First Blood. But it was just... But as someone who lived through it, yeah. that's total BS. <laughs> that never happened. It was always called First Blood, yeah. and then it was called Rambo First Blood 2, <laughs> and, and then the third one was just Rambo 3, which no mention of First Blood. I think because they took a lot of heat, like... First Blood 2 would be Second Blood. Like, that doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. Oh, so. Somewhere there's a librarian pulling their hair out trying to Dewey Decimalize yeah. <laughs> and organize all the Rambo movies at the rental section. So, I guess before we jump into the film proper, some quick shameless plugs. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, where you can go there, rate, review, subscribe, and, uh, uh, you know... We we're always horn out for uh, for the reviews. 
I had a thought. I'm just going to put this out there. Like sometimes reviews, people leave some pretty lengthy reviews, right? Sure. Like you don't have to do that. Like you can just be like, hey, I like this podcast a lot. Done. So so if if that's your stumbling block. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like some people might be intimidated. Like they've heard some of the reviews we've read. Right. And they're like, oh, God, I can't gush about the show like that. Or like, I only kind of like the show. I or I'm not a good it. I'm not a good writer. I don't put words together. So like you don't have to do this big giant thing. You can just be like, Love I like show. I like the show a lot. Five stars done. Like, or yeah. just ask for more Steve Kelly on the podcast. I mean, you can, well, let's you want, not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if you want all your friends to review and rate the show five stars, they can say anything they want about you on there. Yes. We don't care. It's America. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, if that's ever been a stumbling block for you, don't feel like you got to live up to something. Just go and type in like five stars. Loved it. Thanks. So five uh, stars. Kevin's the best. Love the box office report. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I know everybody's pouring <laughs> out for their own personal mention. <laughs> We're available at uh, facebook.com slash real spoilers you can go there like the page join the league of show sharers and all that fun stuff so i guess uh, oh kevin's giving me the stink eye our patreon account at uh, patreon.com slash real spoilers where for five bucks a month you get all sorts of bonus content and we started doing video Mm -hmm. segments to promote the show it's something that tom has done on the popular podcast he does and uh (laughs) i just used some of the patreon money to buy a little professional phone tripod that we can put to the right level so i know we had some positive feedback and also some commentary on our angles for our videos and such (laughs) we knew about that we only did it one time and didn't have the tripod so now we have the equipment and that is the kind of stuff that you get so now you are improving the show with yes. your patronage you don't have to look at our double chins triple we can, quadruple we, we can hide them now yeah. so <laughs> so okay enough of all that uh let's dig into the movie shall we first of all i want to say you know again thank you guys for joining us and i know that you both are huge fans of the mm-hmm. series i've really enjoyed it i wouldn't call myself like a super fan of the series but i, I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about where you landed it on all the other films i thought it was probably the second best of the trilogy i would still say the first was the best the hidden world and then two I really felt like in terms of ending the trilogy, concluding, it was probably about as well as he could have done. I mean, there's some really sappy parts, a little maybe a little over-emotional, but I don't think that they could have written it any other any better. You consider the audience skewed toward, like, you know, kids, they want a happy ending to a trilogy, and I thought they did a really good job without making it more darker. Or, uh, I'm, yeah. st- I'm stumbling over my words here. I'm, I'm really tired. <laughs> Had a long weekend. Apparently, my friends thought I was missing your dad. Oh well, we're <laughs> glad you're here. Thank you. Glad you're alive, first and foremost. But so, were you were you a huge fan of the first two though? Going into this yeah. one, absolutely. Like I, I didn't see the first one when I came out in theaters. Um, I didn't see it until one of my friends told me about it and thought I might really like it. So saw the first one, absolutely loved it. Saw the second one in theaters, loved it. And so I've been waiting for this one for I guess it came out in 2014. The second one, so. I guess I've been waiting for about four and a half, five years. Okay, awesome. And so, J.D., what's your history with this franchise? Well, I am a big fan. So I, I think that first How to Train Your Dragon is severely underrated. And I guess take this with a grain of salt if you must. But How to Train Your Dragon 2, I'm very much on record, at least on our show, of saying that I think it's the best animated sequel of all time. I think it's that good. It's, it's a deeply rich and emotionally layered film. It takes risk. It shows the uh, ramifications of those risks that most animated films aren't willing to do. Even Toy Story 3, a film I adore with every fiber of my being, shows us stakes, but shows us zero ramifications of said stakes. Where How to Train Your Dragon, the first film and the second film, shows us that there is something at stake and sometimes there is a cost to that. And I think that just amplifies 
much of what those films are about, um, not just dramatically, but thematically as well. So I love, love, love these two films. And honestly, and again, take this with a grain of salt if you must, but I'm pretty confident in that if this wasn't a DreamWorks trilogy, if you just flipped out DreamWorks with Pixar, and I think the discourse on these films would be vastly different. I think it's be- because it's coming from DreamWorks, a lesser tier animated studio, uh, people tend to be like, ah, you know, they're fine. When I think they're much, much more than that. I think if you put Pixar in front of it, it's a completely different conversation. I think it's as simple as that. But yeah, these films, I think, are as good as anything Pixar or Disney's ever put out, hands down. And it's interesting that you say that, and and especially bringing up the risk and the ramifications of the actions, because... um, you know, in that second one, I think the the biggest thing that stands out is Hiccup's dad dying, and you you're mm. used in, in animated films. Aside from you know the mom dying in the first three seconds of a Disney film, yeah, the, you don't usually get mm. right. A parent death in a Disney movie is typically it it sets up the action, so it's a character you're not invested in in the same way that you were with Hiccup's dad. You never worry about Donkey dying in the Shrek movies. I right. mean, the, when you have yeah. a huge character that you're invested in, like Hiccup's dad, voiced by Gerard Butler, which I think these movies are some of Gerard Butler's best work in his career. Like, I think it's I crazy <laughs> how good he is in <laughs> these agree. movies, and it's an animated thing. Yeah. But, like, you don't think, oh, Gerard Butler, voice actor, but, like, he's acting in yeah. these movies. And it just shows you the stakes are real. People can actually die. And so it does set you up for, I think, a better experience at the movies. Whereas when you go to Toy Story, I mean, I guess with three, a lot of people you're like oh they're not going to do that but you're like are they really going to do this like they got the closest they could to actually right but at the end of the day i, I never said <laughs> they held that beat in toy story 3 for a really long time to where i was like are they really going like because it's like because pixar is just crazy enough to do it yeah especially back then i don't think they're quite that brave now but at that point in time and and especially because it was positioned as the last one right and it was like Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I could. How crazy yeah. would that be, though? These billion dollar movies, these kids' movies. Yeah. If they would have killed off any <laughs> or all of them. Like, <laughs> it just, you know, at the end of the day, like, I had that feeling, too, because of the way they, they handled it. But again, I never really thought, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to come off. No, right. like, you know, and so. I agree. Yeah. It, it, these movies, there are stakes and it feels real. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think they're really masterfully done. And it's interesting, too, because uh, the director of these last two films and the co-director of the first one came over from Disney. Mm-hmm. So uh, you had Dean Deblois yeah. and then uh, is it Chris Sanders was the co-director? Of the I first? think so. Yeah, he is the voice of Stitch and he uh, wrote Lilo and Stitch. Oh, okay. And then Dean Deblois was a director on Lilo and Stitch. So that's the connection. So they. So do they still let him go back and voice Stitch when they need it for like things in the theme park or? I I mean I don't think they ever got a new voice. Now I could be wrong, and there's probably a lot of people that can do a clever Stitch impression. But right. it's, it's just interesting that I went back and I watched Mulan recently, and that dog, the little dog, sounds a lot like Stitch in in Mulan. And right. I'm like, yeah, that's that's Chris, that's him. And so he. That dragon sounds like Donkey. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's good connection there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Chris Sanders co-wrote Mulan. Yeah. And then he went on to, and then did the voice of that dog. And then he's the voice of Stitch and the director of Lilo and Stitch. And then jumped over to DreamWorks. And I guess Deblois and, and Chris Sanders co-directed the first one. And then these last two have been solo outings for Deblois. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. but, but there's a Disney history there. That carries over. Um, I'm not going to repeat what JD said, but the quality of these films, the writing, the cinematography, they're beautiful films. I mean, oh my God, yeah. Like, I really like the world building of the second one, and I felt like this one, like, 
didn't build on that. And I and that left me disappointed. It was just like, oh, there's this whole other world for dragons. It's right over here, and now we're there. Like it just felt yeah. like such an easy achievement that it just like I, I I spent the bulk of this movie bored. Perfectly honest, and I, I think I think the reason it's getting as good of reviews as it is is I think the last twenty twenty five minutes gets really good, but leading up to that, like I was so bored and just didn't. I just was not invested in this movie at all and and i don't know the theater i saw it in anyway the it was very dim like the picture was dim and it it just it looked cheap to me like i don't i'm not i'm not getting i didn't get the whole like oh the animation on this one is beautiful i thought it looked i thought it looked cheap in a lot of ways that opening scene where uh where they're trying to save dragons or whatever like i i didn't notice that there were there uh there was lots of like fog and smoke, and it just felt like it was like a way to not have to animate as much. Like, oh, we'll just have it be lots of smoke, and there won't we can't really see anything. And it just felt like like I know that second one underperformed, and I felt like they slashed the budget and had to make concessions. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, you can't help the way you felt about it. The only thing you know, the thing that I hate about that is just. On the off chance, I mean, when I saw it, the film looked beautiful. I mean, this is this looks the other two looked beautiful, and especially for at the time. And I mean, this is the best looking one. Cinematic, it's very cinematic, very gorgeous colors, CGI. I mean, all the designs are very detailed, and uh, I just I thought it looked brilliant. And so I hate to think that you think that because you got a bad theater for it. And I know there's nothing you can do. I yeah. mean, that's how they showed it to you. So I totally. And I get went it. to a press screening. So like, if if I got a bad theater for it, then they then they need to screen yeah. them at different movies. But how many press screenings have you been to where something screwed up too? Oh and, yeah. And so like, I'm just saying it's not beyond. I mean, we've had movies that start half hour hour late. Movies that never start. Movies that start in 3D when they're supposed to be 2D with no glasses. So like, the idea that you maybe went to a press screening and the projector was set too dim or wasn't calibrated right, like. It's a possibility, and I just—it's hate- a possibility. I just think that then, then, then that that promotion company needs to do a better job. Totally, J- JD. I mean, as far as brightness, colors. I mean, did the movie seem dark, too dark to you at any point in time? I would be very curious for you to rewatch the film in uh, in, in a different theater and come out. I, if you came out saying the same thing, I mean, that's totally fair. But I think it's maybe the most gorgeous of the three. And I don't even know if it's close. And I love the second film uh, in terms of its visuals. It's pretty stunning. But yeah, the the color palette, especially once you get into the hidden world, the the hue, the, those bright yeah. hues and the varying colors, it is breathtaking to watch. Pandora Flight of Passage, it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or or even that dance sequence between the Light Fury and Toothless. And one of the first things I said on Twitter after watching it is that I think it rivals the dance sequence in WALL-E. I think it's that gorgeous. And the romanticism there is uh, is just blissful. And I think it's not just the imagery, but the uh, the score by John Powell, I think, amplifies a lot of that as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just a breathtaking sequence. I think visually, though, it's it's a stunner. I think it's it's quite evocative. Awesome. And Steve, did it seem dark to you? Or I guess so. I actually was at the same screening as uh, Tom. Oh, okay. And I didn't think it was too bad. Like, oh, so I Tom's actually just thought, broken. I thought it was. <laughs> I'm dead on the inside. <laughs> no, I actually 
I agree 100% <laughs> with what was saying. I mean, that scene where they get to find the hidden world and they're flying through it, and you see all these visuals and just these colors in the sky. And yeah, it's like I, absolutely gorgeous. Stunning. I will agree that, and I even said the last 20 minutes of the movie I thought were really good. Talk about stick the landing. I yeah. mean, this movie, if there ever was a definition of sticks the landing. Right. But, uh, and, and, and because the hidden world is so bright, I think it overcame the, the dimness of whatever we were looking were at. Were you in 3D? No, that's, okay. and yeah. I was going to say that. That's the other thing that made me so frustrated with how dark this movie was is that, like, like I give a 3D movie a little bit of latitude because I know that, like, you're wearing those glasses, but we, we saw a 2D version of this movie. Remember A Christmas Carol in 3D? One of the oh, early, yeah. early CG 3D movies, and that movie's set in dark London, right. and then you put 3D before the projectors were that good. I mean, that was you may as well have been in the dark trying yeah, to... Yeah, it might as well have been a radio yeah. <laughs> drama. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a good-looking movie, too, but, like, the way theaters were back then, it's like the projectors weren't as good. They were getting their first 3D projectors, and, like, things and, just weren't... And then they set the entire movie against candlelight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's what it was. So, okay, cool. Well, I just, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the visuals and stuff. But yeah, let's get into the movie. Was it a year after the second one that this takes place? Yeah, about a year. Yeah. Okay. I think that's correct. So, yeah. so this takes place a year later, and basically we find out that the village of Burke has been growing over these past years, ever since Hiccup and his friends brought, brought dragons. They're island is they're just overflowing with dragons they're everywhere you turn around there's a dragon there they're knocking stuff over uh the film begins with a pretty cool like uh stealthy like scene of uh you know they've been going and rescuing dragons and that's why the why burke is overflowing and so you get hiccup with his really cool dragon scale armor he's got his lightsaber flame sword uh that we saw in the second one right (laughs) yeah and it's just, it's really cool. Uh, I, I really it's like It's nice to see uh, something like that, a movie ad, something like that, that you know they can't sell as a toy. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I, mean, I, want the, I want the flame, <laughs> the flame sword. Here's Which is a little penny losses be worth it. Here's yeah. a flaming sword, child. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, Have at it. You know the toy is just a uh, like a yellow or an orange translucent piece of plastic yeah. with like some little flames coming off of it. Like, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a really cool scene. But basically the whole point of it is to show you that they've been out trying to rescue dragons dragons and so this is the scene tom was talking about there's a lot of smoke and fog and whatever but they're trying to rescue all these dragons and so you get all your friends coming and they eventually break free all of the dragons from one of the sets of bad guys in this movie but don't we get a glimpse at this point when they leave of the light fury for the first the time fury. that they she she comes but she was mm-hmm. invisible right and she had like turned herself visible after they left yeah because that's, that's, that's right. why they don't yeah. rescue her, because they didn't see her there, and she kind of just turns herself visible. Yeah. So that's the first time we see, like, whoa, she can do some stuff we've never seen Toothless do. And we'll find out later there's some other mm-hmm. things that Toothless can do, but we haven't seen him do yet. So that's our first look, and, and the posters, the trailers, we've all seen this white night fury. And so that's the big selling point of this third film as far as uh, new characters, toys, you name it. Um, so yeah, they get back to Burke. It's overcrowded. We are introduced to everybody and mostly the same voice cast, except for TJ Miller, for obvious reasons, has yeah. been recast, especially when they're making this movie. Like, I know the heat's kind of died down a little bit, but, you know, when they're in the middle of filming this movie, I can right. see why they were like... Yeah. That guy sound did a pretty good TJ Miller, I It thought. was jarring to me. I, yeah. I, I think because... T.J. Miller's voice is so distinct. Like, yeah. as soon as he started talking, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, because I did spend my time like, is that T.J. Miller? <laughs> like, I, you know, like, it was at least close enough to maybe 
made me question it. Yeah, you, you'd know, though. But it's like, I get it. And especially it's a kid's movie. We've seen the way that controversy has surrounded some of these other films and especially animated films. And it's like, DreamWorks is just like, nope, not touching yeah. it. Like, I, I thought it was good uh, to replace T.J. Miller in the role. I thought it was odd that they used John Lasseter. No. <laughs> it's a weird choice. <laughs> it was an odd choice. <laughs> it's a weird choice. <laughs> yeah. So seriously, though, who is it a name? Is it anybody we know? I, I, it's Justin Ruppel. Who, who is voice tough nut this time around? Who, do we know him? Because I I looked it up before the show and I'm like, who was that? Oh, I, who was that? <laughs> I, I don't know him. I, I mean, looking through his credits on IMDb, there's not much that stands out. Just a bunch of miscellaneous and small stuff. So, yeah. okay, no one that I'm really familiar with. I For don't think many worth, people would be. He doesn't even have his own and, entry. And maybe, and maybe that's why they wanted to get someone that wouldn't be distracting. That's true. Oh, you replaced T.J. Miller with. Claire Danes, that's a weird choice. Like, that's going to be distracting. <laughs> they should have just used uh, that uh, Jason Manzoukas or however. Uh, Jason Manzoukas? Yeah. I would have loved. if it, This movie. Well, just because he replaced him in the Mucinex commercials. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. that's hilarious. Which uh, is still, it irritates me because it should be pronounced Mucinex. <laughs> right, because it's mucus, not it's muses. It's not clearing out your muses. <laughs> like, I called it Mucinex for years, and my wife, because I will say this. It's a really good product and it's very effective. But uh, uh, but I've always called it lining Mucanex. up our next sponsor, right? Yeah, right. I'm, I'll whore out. I don't care. Oh yeah, we will promote. But uh, and Joe could probably use some on some episodes, yeah. so it'd be a perfect. But I'm like Mucinex. Why would you make that a soft C? It's a hard C, like my ex-wife. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of that on the show, JD. Yeah. We, and we just breeze right oh, past boy. it. It yeah. doesn't really affect us anymore. So they get back to town. It's overflowing, like I said, for the twelfth time. And the other conflict is that. It's it's time for Astrid and Hiccup to get married. Gobber, who is Craig Ferguson, who I, I love him in these movies. I think he's really funny. I think he's, a, I mean, he's got that. He has another distinct voice where it's like, you can't replace Craig Ferguson. That's fantastic. And uh, he's just giving him trouble. Like, it's time for you to get married. You are the leader of this village. You know, the dad has been passed away for some time now. And it's time for you to take over, take a wife, have a family. You know what I've always wanted, though? I mean, Hiccup's dad. That's Gerard Butler's voice. Yeah. His mom, Kate Blanchett's voice. Or what? Blanchett? Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Why doesn't he have an accent? None of the kids <laughs> have accents. Huh. Well, maybe, well, they're like transplants. Like maybe they're from a different place and then Burke is in a non. I'm just trying to justify yeah, it. I have no like none of <laughs> because none of the kids have. I guess like yeah. maybe when you hit maturity, your accent kicks in like pubes. Have you heard Jay Baruchel's voice? Like have him try to do an accent he, he did do that one yeah, line with an probably accent. probably not a good yeah. idea <laughs> he did do one line with the accent in this one like he was mocking somebody. oh yeah yeah he's mocking his dad yeah, yeah. but uh, and that's fine but like yeah try to have him for a whole movie yeah. seriously do an acting job with Oof. an accent and let's, I, let's do nothing to make his voice more annoying um i will say though you know jay baruchel he was in all those like dumb comedies that you know i grew up in high school and people steve's age like we grew up with him and all these things and his voice was so jarring like not jarring his voice was so distinctive gr- yeah, like I, you'll, yeah it's a nasally he's got that voice that's mm-hmm. kind of his thing i will say he tones it down but, a lot for these movies i don't think it shows through mm-hmm. in these ones i agree and it's he's really good in these movies but yeah i think his voice is definitely toned down and i, I appreciate that because yeah. i don't think we could do an hour and a half animated because you can't see him. So it's like if we were just to hear his normal voice, it would probably be a little bit. It's it's just so jarring because I'm a big fan of the Goon movies, and yeah. he's in there, and he's just like this completely foul mouth dude, <laughs> just like s- saying all sorts of uh, profanity and uh, you know slang terms mm-hmm. for parts of anatomy, yeah. and <laughs> then he just you you see him in How to Train Your Dragon, he's just this overall wholesome good guy. It's like hey, I got a dragon. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it's it, yeah. you see that a lot in cartoons. So I mean, for years, I mean, Buddy Hackett. If you ever saw Buddy Hackett stand up, holy crap! That dude. I mean, like he would make Don Rickles blush. Yeah. But he was in all those Herbie the Love Bug movies, and of course, he was the the what the seagull or whatever in in Little Mermaid. Yeah, but, uh, and I mean, you know, Bob Saget is, I think, the number yeah, one. Yeah. He's the number one example of that just because everyone grew up with. I mean, people our age, he was the dad on Full House, the wholesome dad on Full yeah. House. Uh, Robin Williams, his stand up's filthy. And yeah. it's like, you know, oh, yeah. the genie from Aladdin. Let's take my kids to see his stand up. Yeah. Nope, bad idea. Um, so totally. And then, I mean, even TJ Miller. Yeah. I mean, right. that guy's filthy and stand up. And he's, Patton Oswald. And he's not filthy, filthy, no, but, but he can get he can get a little. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, when they're, when they're mm-hmm. casting you for a kid's movie, and they're they're giving you that paycheck. Hey, tone it down. I'll Absolutely, kids movie. So Hiccup is struggling with that. So he's dealing with not only that overcrowding situation, but also the pressure to be married to Astrid. Him and Astrid have a very playful relationship. You know, it's it's not Astrid isn't the most romantic person in the world, and he even mentions that in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that's not on his number one priority list. But he's always being kind of nudged to you know go that direction. Um, uh, and, uh, so anyway, we see, uh, Hiccup on a cliff and he's playing fetch with Toothless, which I thought was a really good scene. I, he takes off his leg and throws it to him and, you know, he brings it back slobbery and, uh, Astrid comes and finds him. And, uh, this is where he pitches the idea of the hidden world. I think we see a flashback here of him talking to his dad, you know, and, and his dad is telling him the story of dragons and the hidden world. And so he realizes that the idea to, you know, get them to is to get them to a place where they and the dragons will have enough room. I think it was in the previous scene where one of the huge dragons that they brought back starts bowling over things in the village and yeah. they start toppling like dominoes. Yeah. So it's a huge yeah. problem. Like their village is going to be destroyed. So he's just like, yeah, let's go find the hidden world. And I, I can definitely see where Tom's coming from because you've got this mysterious hidden world. That's a, it's a fairy tale. His dad told right. him about it and hiccups just like, let's head this direction. And yeah. then eventually and then they, they like they like look and look and look and they're like, oh, we can't find it. And we'll just stop here and build a whole new town. And then later in the movie, it's like, well, let's look a little bit more. Oh, there it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be fair, they did stop to rest. Like all the people were like, yeah, we're tired. of traveling. Oh, yeah. Like he wanted to keep going. So I get that. Yeah. I just mean in terms of like it's that close. Right. Like, it was it, it was not really an arduous task. Yeah. To find the hidden valley as far as is hidden worlds go it's not one of your better hidden ones so uh so mm. they they leave once they get to the new campsite that everyone like they instantly camp they're like are they want to stay there and like here's new burke and hiccups like yeah we're stopping to rest and take a pee break and they all want to live there uh we're introduced to the kit harrington character who is from the last movie um you know and and uh later on he's going to tell us about the bad guy so hiccup and uh, Toothless, they, they go off into the woods and Hiccup spots a dart. And so it's he finds out that it's from Grimmel, this, the bad guy of this movie. And uh, he is like supposedly, I guess he's a dragon hunter would be what you would call his yeah. profession. And uh, he has allegedly killed all of the Night Furies. So that's his thing. He wants to kill every single Night Fury. And so, when so his goal is to not have a job. Yeah, exactly. He wants to retire. We (laughs) wouldn't. So uh, when he's talking to the guys that had all the dragons that the gang busted out in the opening scene, they're like, they got away and they had a night fury. And you see Grimmel's eyes, you know, 
pop open like Night Fury. And so that is that is basically his motivation for the movie is that they've got all the Night Furies. Now, the only thing that confused me about this, guys, and, and maybe, J.D., you can answer this one. The people at that camp had a Light Fury, what they what they term, I think Astrid terms as a Light Fury. It is a White Night Fury. Mm-hmm. It's still a Night Fury. Yeah. Why doesn't he want to yeah. kill the White Night Fury? Is that I mean that just seems kind of weird because he's a racist. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, I mean, is that like just made, a, like I was just like a White Night Fury, like White Knight, like like the Clan, like that's maybe maybe come up with a different. Uh, which is I think why pretty soon. I mean, they're saying it's a yeah. White Night Fury, you know, right? And so I think that's why the Light Fury came yes. out pretty quickly. That was yeah. good, a good move on their part. But I mean, I know kids movie and we're brushing along but i mean is tell me if there's a real explanation for why he doesn't want to kill the white the light fury my thought was that he was basically going to use her to lure totally and that's what he does yeah but i'm before he knew that there was a but we don't we don't know if he even knew that she existed because when she's on that bow at the beginning that's not grimmel shit true that's a completely different clan and obviously she escapes from that so there, the film never explores it, but suggests that perhaps Grimmel just didn't realize until she, you know, comes back into the fold the second time around, and then she uses her to lure out uh, Toothless. So, um, which and and the way things play out in the end, I got the feeling that he his plan was to kill both of them eventually absolutely but needed to use needed to use her to to get to toothless first okay yeah that's probably the most reasonable explanation he didn't know she existed and then decided to use her until he had no use for her meaning taking out toothless so makes sense um Mm. so so that's his plan is to let her loose and have them do their you know their their mating dance and all that that we see which i mean is pretty hilarious i thought that was mm-hmm. fantastic the fact that just the way that when they see each other they like instantly imprint like when two night furies see or you know female male night fury whatever the technical reason is behind it they instantly like toothless is fallen mad in love with the light fury and that whole ordeal is just hilarious uh no, they just they just uh videotape me at the bar trying to hit on women yeah they, uh, turn that <laughs> into a looks pretty right. yeah it looks pretty similar I've, I've been at the bar with you steve yeah, yeah it's pretty, pretty yeah. right um but he finds this poison dart so he brings it back to the village um it, toothless is acting weird and that's where eric the kid harrington character is like this is grimmel and this is where we get our exposition of you know the the night fury hunter the dragon hunter he wants to kill them all he'll be back there's no way that he's you know, going to be far away from you. Um, so later that night, he comes to the tent. And, and oh, and we should say, is it it's F. Murray Abraham that plays Grimmel, right? Yes. Um, yes. And, and yeah. so um, while I think that his voicing was fine, I did find him to be the weakest part of the movie. I don't know if any of you guys agree, but the his mm-hmm. character's motivation and and the, the way that he was a little bit uh, mustache twirling, like he had toothless dead to rights so many times in this movie and i know he's a main character and i know you're not going to kill off toothless but he had toothless so many times and didn't kill him when he had the chance and i just i just thought that his villain was kind of the weak spot it was just kind of a cliche like it just it felt like kind of a standard villain take yeah i don't know. know jd what were your thoughts on him as a villain overall um, it's a little bit twofold. I don't find him as interesting as the villain in the uh, in the second film, but I don't completely dislike Grimmel either because I do think that while he's perhaps misused in that first act, because there's a lot of 
uh, clunky humor in that first act that is clearly pandering to young children. Um, and I can forgive it because I understand it's not aimed at me, but I can also vouch for its effectiveness because my son absolutely adored, I think, a lot of that humor in that first act. Uh, but once Grimmel takes his turn kind of more toward the middle section of the film, I think what he does narratively on the surface, it could come off as um, maybe like you guys are saying, a little underutilized, but I think thematically he serves a pivotal role. And and for me, that's why I ultimately enjoyed the character, not so much for what he does, but for what he allows our central protagonist to do. And that's what the heart of these films is all about anyway. So in that sense, I do like the character. Okay, sure. And, and I mean, again, like I said, I give it, I cut these movies a little slack because as you said, I mean, some of the writing is going to be for kids. You have to entertain kids first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think the real quality marker of an animated film is being able to have the kids enjoy it and also have the parents enjoy being along there for the ride. Like, yeah. That's what Shrek did. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's what a lot of the Pixar movies do. Uh, you know, And, and uh, these movies certainly do that to where they have a huge following of adults. And it's these are not just for kids, uh, but they do balance that pretty well. So I, I definitely cut them some slack uh, in those arenas. And again, you're not going to be mm-hmm. – you can't kill – toothless or hiccup 30 minutes into this movie the stakes are real but they're not that real right to where you know he's got them dead to rights and he lets them go and you're like well that's not believable i mean so yeah yeah, it's a for- forgiving toothless he's or he's or i guess later in that scene he's wandering around in the woods and he runs into this the light fury and so these two are infatuated this is the first time where they're circling each other or toothless is circling and acting all goofy we see him fall in love uh, but we find out that mm-hmm. this light fury is not too keen on humans. Uh, Toothless, I think, steps on a twig. And as soon as that she hears that twig, a huge purple fire blast is shot in that direction. And when a second one goes off, I mean, Hiccup is so hypnotized by seeing this light fury that he's about to get blown up and Astrid comes and like pushes him out of the way as he's about to be exploded. So like this thing is not mm-hmm. messing around with humans. And rightfully so. She's been caged by the other humans in this. So uh, she is not as accustomed as the other dragons and our friends in this. Um, So anyway, uh, so we're introduced to her. Uh, She ends up being scared away. Um, And that evening, Grimmel comes to the village. So he has been tracking and using the Light Furious bait. And this is where we get this first interaction uh, between Hiccup and Grimmel, uh, which I think was a pretty good showdown. It's It's a pretty neat action scene. And you think that Grimmel has... Hiccup dead to rights, uh, but it was a trap. So he had Fish Legs, who's Christopher Mintz-Plass, yep. uh, who's always great mm-hmm. in these movies. I mean, another distinct voice there. You think that Toothless is under a blanket, and so Grimmel goes and shoots a tranquilizer to take out Toothless, and it's really him. So um, some comedy there. But but there's a huge showdown where they they have set this trap for Grimmel, and when you right when you think that they've got him, his dragons come busting through the roof, and he has some pretty crazy dragons like these things are acid breathing they've got this green stuff that just melts through everything and so you can see that this guy although he is a dragon hunter and he's trying to kill the night furies he also has a great control over other dragons and that scene and the the later scene where they actually go to his base and try to track him down it kind of had for me a ocean's 12 feel in that you're basically trying to see both sides one up each other, be like one step ahead of each other, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, no, nope, mm-hmm. you just, when you think you have the upper hand, turns out this guy's been thinking that all along and he's got you beat. He's got yeah. you dead to rights. 
And then it happens over and over and over again. Kind of like a Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty yeah. situation. The yeah, I, I do like that. I, I agree. It's it's pretty cool. And I didn't. I mean, I to give uh, Hiccup some credit. Like in that first scene, I didn't see that happening. Like him trapping him already. He's just heard of Grimmel, and I thought, oh man, this guy snuck up on him. He has the upper hand. He's going to capture Toothless right here. And I mean, they had a pretty good plan. It was fun. But yeah, this guy, this guy has weaponized dragons in a way where you know our heroes use them, but like this guy's not messing around. So he's able to escape, mm-hmm. and this is where, I mean, things are, his his house is destroyed, uh, a lot of the village has been set on fire, so Hiccup has to call a town meeting uh, and get everyone gathered in the middle of the night, because he realizes that this guy, as we said, is a huge threat. Like, he's not going to stop at any cost. They have to leave the village. They know it's already overcrowded, so the perfect solution is you know to find a new place and his idea is to find this hidden world uh they've got all these dragons and he wants to bring them to the place where they belong so his great idea is that they will make burke their new burke will be the hidden world which i mean i think it's it's a little naive of him to think that the hidden world for dragons will be you know yeah, it's kind of a cop housing humans <laughs> but i mean he doesn't know and and yeah. I, I get his intentions so we'll i just I, call this the new world yeah. Or the hidden world. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so uh, they all agree, and they head out. I mean, it's as easy as that. And so, again, to Tom's point, I mean, it's pretty quick the way they set out. Everyone's okay to leave. Let's just head this direction to the hidden world. Yeah. It's, yeah, and and they guessed the right direction, uh, coincidentally, because Toothless cannot survive in the cold. So they had to end up going the other direction. I don't remember, you know, east, west, whatever it was, but they set out in one particular direction. It was. What, they went west. They went west. Okay. Cool. And to be fair, though, like it really did look like where they went was kind of on the edge of that map that uh, Grimmel has. Yeah. I thought, you know, so it doesn't really give us yeah. a sense of scale as a, how long they actually traveled. I mean, it could have been, you know, could have been a few weeks. That's or something. true. So maybe it was just a big time jump because, I mean, it is like we got to leave and then they're all out there flying, which, I mean, again, this movie is so beautifully am- animated with the water, all the mm-hmm. dragons traveling with all their the village, their stuff, their houses, their belongings. And, I mean, it's a really neat scene with everything that's going on. But they do mm-hmm. pretty much, they go from the village, they go from Burke to in the air to resting. And then, as Tom said, it's right outside the hidden yeah. world. So it, it, I feel like they didn't have the courage to tell the story they wanted to tell, which was how they find the hidden world. And that, and that, they got some sort of studio notes that were like, "We need a big villain," and hmm. so the Grimmel stuff just kind of felt arbitrary and the kind of thing you see in any kids movie. Where if they would have focused more on, like, I would have been more interested in seeing. And coming off the last movie, I felt like it was setting up more for a movie like this, where it's going to be less about there's this big bad, you know obviously bad guy trying to you know disrupt them in some capacity instead be about like the internal struggles of people in terms of like well i don't want to leave my home and i don't want i don't know that there is a hidden world well, that's and, what i thought know. they were getting set up for when, yeah. he, when he goes to that town meeting and you have the people of burke who have been there their entire lives generations i mean they say it i mean and, and they've like said it before. seven generations yeah i mean this is their home and i totally get that we've got a villain trying to destroy our village but if you think about it, you're going to have people hunker down and say, we're going to just defend our home. Like people are not just going to be like, let's leave to a place we don't know. Like, and, and some people are going to say no and they're going to stay. Yeah. They're going to stay. I mean, the, you know, and, and I don't expect it to be that truthful to human nature, but like, I mean, I just saw a thing on the news the other day about a town in, I think it was Alabama. Maybe that's like, like 
the sea is rising and, and they're stay there. losing this town yeah. and they're like hey we'll give you all this land over here and there are and a lot of people are taken but there are still people that are like on nope, their roof i don't believe it as yeah. you know as they're standing as, in their living right. room in waiters yeah yeah so I, I i get your point and so that's what i was mm. getting ready for i was thinking this movie especially with uh, the courage they've had in the past like tom said and how smart they've been i was setting up for a little bit more of an internal struggle like you said but it's not what we got and i really enjoyed this movie and i just mm. i think that maybe that could have made it that much better but you're always going to struggle with the studio and it's a kid's movie and you've got to keep them entertained. So I think at the end of the day, we understand why they have Grimmel and why they do some of the things that they do. So they're at what they've dubbed Newburgh. They stop to rest. We Like we said, they set up town there. And this is where... Toothless senses, I guess he either hears or senses the light fury, but she wakes him up in the middle of the night. Uh, Toothless goes up after her, and this is when we get that hilarious mating dance scene, if you want to call that, where Toothless is trying to to impress the light fury and it's just absolutely hilarious uh hiccup ends up sneaking out after them and he's kind of standing off on a hill and doing the like you got this trying to coach him and just to see the physical comedy of hiccups character and toothless trying to recreate it i mean i was laughing out loud during this scene i thought it was absolutely delightful one of my favorite parts of the film i just think that they had Mm -hmm. so much fun with it especially when there there are a lot of stakes and it does get pretty serious at other parts but they found that perfect balance of when to get serious you know and when to have a lot of fun and and i thought this part was great did you guys yeah totally agree yeah and if i can speak to that real fast and also uh tie it back to what you guys were talking about regarding the hidden world i think that dance scene is pretty arresting for a lot of the reasons we've talked about but i also think that it's vital to the film uh thematically as well because it cements the bond that forms between toothless and the the night fury which in turn forms this interesting dichotomy where hiccup realizes how and why toothless needs to find his own growth but it's going to come at the cost of something deeply personal for himself. And watching that unfold, as you guys have talked about uh, in that last 20 minutes, is pretty gut-wrenching, at least for fans of this franchise. But I also think it ties into what you guys are saying about The Hidden World, which I think the title, calling this The Hidden World, is a red herring. I think it's dramatic irony, um, because I don't think this film was ever about Hiccup finding the hidden world or going on some adventure to find the hidden world. I think the film first and foremost is about exploring this idea of place and why it's important for us to be exactly where we needed to be. And in that, it actually reminded me a lot of Ralph breaks the internet last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that film, it filters that through the lens of codependency and its ramifications when you rely too heavily on one person. And this film doesn't demonstrate it, that verbatim, but in a similar way to Ralph and his dynamic with Vanellope, Hiccup veers dangerously close to being identity-less without Toothless, and it puts his entire clan in danger as it severely affects his decision-making. But it's in that why the flashbacks of the film that we were talking about earlier I think are sublime and important, and how Stoic reveals to Hiccup that it was his destiny to find the hidden world. But as I said, I think that's nothing. I think that's dramatic irony because once Hiccup finds it, he realizes that it was never about him finding the hidden world. He has this epiphany that Toothless and 
where he's supposed to be, it's now at this place. He has his own kingdom to take care of and that he can't selfishly keep him from that, even though in so many ways, Toothless defines who Hiccup is. And that, that to me, I think is the center of this film. It, it is the core that drives everything, which is why I was saying earlier, Grimmel and his kind of arbitrary, you know, the little things that he does in this film serve that purpose. It doesn't serve some sort of grand epic adventure that maybe you thought that you were going to get because of the marketing and we're going on, you know, the hidden world. And you see, you see parts of it in the trailer and it's gorgeous. And I think all of that is a red herring. I think it has this, this film narratively doesn't care at all about trying to find the hidden world. It's all about place where we are supposed to be, what are, what are our identities inside of the places that we are supposed to be? That's what this film is all about. And you get it with, uh, with Toothless, you get it with, with Hiccup, you get it with uh, even the Light Fury as well. And of course, you know, uh, the town of Burke and, you know, what they call home. Because there, there is a little pushback, or at least there's some dubiousness among some of the clan but once they find the new Burke, they, that's where they want it to be. They even say, this is, this is better than the last one. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's where the film thrives. And I think the emotion that comes with these films, that comes with those ideas, I think is as uh, stimulating as we saw in the previous two. So um, I can understand your guys' narrative uh, criticisms, but like I said, I think that's a red herring. I, I don't think the film really ever cared about any of that. I like that. I, I mean, you said it perfectly. I, I really like how you drew the comparisons between Ralph Breaks the Internet because it is the same sort of thing. I mean, going back to that mm-hmm. film, and you can go listen to that podcast, but as we said then, and for anyone that's seen it, Vanellope's place is somewhere else. You know, she's in this arcade, yeah. but she's destined for so much more. She knows that she does not feel at mm-hmm. home there, even though she has her best friend, Ralph, and so her place is Slaughter Race. And we find that. And mm-hmm. at the end of the film, both of the characters grow. I mean, especially Ralph, who's the one that really needs to grow. And he realizes that mm-hmm. you can't hold your friends back, you know, selfishly. You have to, you know, accept that some people belong in, in a different place. And that's okay. Like, it doesn't make them a bad friend or a bad mm-hmm. person. But yeah, I, I think that's a great comparison. And and I like the idea of this movie really being more about um, these characters, their inner struggle with finding their place and the hidden world is just a way to to market it to uh, give people a, a, a great place mm-hmm. to look at and to you know make it fancy and make it seem like an adventure but but yeah I mean there are some heart-wrenching moments to uh, hiccup and toothless like you said JD both have to go through mm-hmm. this uh, this struggle and from the very beginning uh, hiccup is hesitant to let toothless go I mean he he goes after the light fury and he can see how into her he is and he doesn't really think like he automatically assumes like oh well He'll fall in love with the Light Fury. The Light Fury will come live with us, and everyone will live happily ever after. Yeah. But more and more, he sees that like the Light Fury doesn't want anything to do with them. That's not where she belongs. And eventually, mm-hmm. when we get to the hidden world and we see how the dragons live and that that beautiful relationship, like like again, the JD said, when you see the way that they've bonded and the way that they have become kind of the alphas and how they're the leaders of this hidden world and all the dragons mm-hmm. and uh, the way that they're connected, whether it's through like their physical touch, uh, the way that they interact with one another. They did some amazing things with body language to show that. And so, yeah, I, I really love that. I agree. So thanks for yeah, making those comparisons. Sure. It, it's really a great movie where it can be entertaining, 
Uh, but it also, I mean, for the kids, you've got the hidden world and the fight scenes. And for us, you know, we get mm-hmm. to see the struggle of Hiccup. I think uh, yeah. it's interesting that Wreck-It Ralph and this uh, both revolve around a relationship that that can't be the character's primary relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like Hiccup and Toothless, like at the end of the day, like they're, they're never, you know, they're not going to be a couple yeah. that lasts forever. Like there's going to, they're, they're both by virtue of definition mm-hmm. are going to have to have someone in their life who's more important than the other. Wreck-It Ralph is the same way. Yeah. You know, I, it's a great comparison, which is why I think it also circles back to the fil- the first film so gorgeously in the sense that in that first film, obviously humans and dragons, they couldn't live together. It was just too dangerous. There was a lot of fighting and, you come back around to that idea in this, in some ways in, in this third film, but obviously it's not, the relationship isn't contentious at all. It's it, there's still a, a loving relationship there, but it, it's also this idea that humans and dragons, maybe we aren't supposed to live together. Right. You know, it's, it's just too difficult and, and we all have our own place and where we need to be. But, you know, experiencing three films and and being invested in that relationship to come to that conclusion that maybe my dad was right that we aren't supposed to be with dragons, but at least now we can live in peace with these dragons. In harmony, yeah. And so you, in harmony, and so you get to that that final conclusion at the end of the film, and it is just it is gut wrenching to to see how those themes and and ideas kind of they they come for a circle in a way that I just find incredibly provocative, but, but even just in terms of the, you know, the, the, the relationship dynamics there, it's just, it's stunning work. So well, I just, I just love how it, it, it kind of reminded me of the end of toy story three in that sense where, you know, cause the final shot of toy story three is the opening shot of the first toy story. Yeah, right. And, and this kind of functions in a very similar yeah, way. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is, I think I think what we have to remember, so we've gone on now three of these grand adventures. We love Toothless. We love Hiccup. We love mm-hmm. the city of Burke, the village of Burke, when the people, like, we want them to have dragons because they make fun adventures. But at the end of the day, they're humans, they're Vikings, and they're dragons. They're not mm-hmm. meant to, mm-hmm. to be together. And so I like that evolution exactly. of this trilogy yeah. uh, that in the first movie, it's humans, dragons, bad. We hate dragons. No, dragons, good. We can work together and fight together. And then, you know, mm-hmm. as, as this goes on, you've gone from dragons, bad to dragons, good. And maybe we shouldn't work together, but we both can coexist. So I really like exactly. the way that the humans have changed yep. their mind, but they went too far in the first one. They, right. they let's make them our pets. Let, let's make them our equals, yeah. which I mean, equals not in a bad way, but let's, let's make it so that, yeah, we always fight together and work together, but they're animals in a cage. Mm-hmm. These are animals at the zoo. It's like, this would be like yeah. rescuing an animal. A baby bird falls out of the nest or you find a lone lion cub. Yeah. You take it, you nurse it back to health. But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I love this lion now. It's going to be my pet. Well, no, it doesn't. The lion. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea. The lion doesn't. Even if the lion loves you like Toothless loves Hiccup, that lion, that yeah. dragon does not belong with him. Right. He's helped him. He's, yeah. he's done his part to help him grow and be safe and find exactly. where he's supposed to be. But you have to let it go. And what I really yeah. love is there was a great interview with uh, Dean Deblois, the director, and Kim Renfro, who is a writer, a journalist, film critic. And she uh, she interviewed the director, and she likened the end of this movie to that scene with the lion, the lion that grew up. What is uh, Christian the lion? 
you guys, I'm sure have seen this viral video, even if you don't know it by name. Uh, there's a lion that was nursed back to health by this guy, and he lets the lion go and, and join a pride and be a part of that world. And then years later, the zoologist, the guy, whoever raised him and nursed him back to health and let him go, meets up with him. And there's this real tension between the two. You've seen this viral video. It's a few years old, but I know you've seen it where this huge lion comes up and there's this human. And you're like, oh, my God, dude, like this lion is kind of standoffish. The human's looking like lunch. And then Christian jumps on him and plays with him and they roll around and hug and embrace. And so that the end scene of this movie the director mm. was directly inspired by that mm. video. So that's yeah. why there's such a comparison. But for sure, but that's that yeah. that is in a sense what this movie is about. I mean, you, you have to let mm-hmm. people you have to let things go and people have to be able to live where they belong. Um, but that doesn't mean that you still can't hang out and, and, and coexist in the end. I think the important thing to note in all of that is that Grimmel adds dick to any of that. <laughs> Well, that's like, the, I, I think that's what it's. Let's make a, a right, kids like movie I, with adventure. It, you yeah. could take you could take Grimmel out of this and still find a way to make it work. And I think you'd have a much better movie. But maybe that would be an adult movie and not a kids movie. Like I, I. But I mean, I think you, I mean at some point you have to go where the story wants to go, and I and I feel like the story wanted to go hidden world relationship between Toothless and. And, and hiccup and how that can't be at least in its current incarnation. But that's what JD like as yeah. much as the the hidden world was a red herring. Grimmel's a red herring too. I mean, he's just but, a but, way to. I, but I don't feel like the 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 hidden world still works within the context of the story. I don't think Grimmel does. It's I think just Gr- conflict. It's I think just, it's it's arbitrary conflict. But, you know what I mean? I mean. Yeah, I, I, I definitely can see what you mean. I, I just think it just makes the movie more of a... If, if you wanted conflict for conflict's sake, I think it makes more sense to have one of the other uh, townspeople of Burke become some sort of rival t- trying to undermine them going to the hidden world. I think that makes more sense yeah. and, and could weave you know weave in better because every time they went to grimmel i was just like mm-hmm. don't care i i do i do think he serves a purpose for the arc of the light fury and the ideas of trust that come with that in the film because as you said earlier kevin that she doesn't trust humans and why shouldn't she i mean she's been abused she's been in cages for god knows how long so of course she's not going to trust humans and even once she's around toothless and she sees hiccup a little bit she's still very wary of him but there is an evolution that by the end of the film because of the danger that she's put in um where her and toothless are you know they're caught they need someone to come save them and so as hiccup does there comes that moment where hiccup makes an extreme sacrifice that gives her an epiphany of her own where she realizes that, okay, well, Hiccup isn't like these other humans. He's he's clearly making a sacrifice for my life and for Toothless. And so then it it brings back those ideas of, uh, of trust. It brings that full circle in a way that I feel like is complementary to those other ideas. That's a that tremendous we talking about. growth. So, I mean, the, the fact that the light fury goes from being a caged animal scared of humans wants to blow hiccup up on site doesn't matter she's not 
asking questions first, blow up later. I mean, she sees a human, she mm-hmm. wants to kill them. Two, eventually, mm-hmm. you know, spoilers, that's what we do, saving his life. I think that's a tremendous growth, and she's not even really a main I character, agree. but we see Hiccup grow, we see Toothless grow, but think about what it takes, just like JD said. So I do think that's a beautiful mm-hmm. uh, growth of that character as well. Uh, eventually, she leaves. The The Light Fury leaves. Toothless wants to chase her, can't, because of course we know he has that tail injury. Uh, Hiccup has made contraptions that he can control. Uh, he's never really quite gotten it. He, he worked on a way so that Toothless could control it, but... Toothless doesn't like the the fake tail and the mechanism and all that, but now he's faced with, you know, he cannot go and be with this Light Fury. Uh, so Hiccup works on a new invention. It's a really fun scene. I like how they get the black paint and everything and Gobber's there and it's a fun scene. But at the end of the day, Hiccup has to let Toothless go. And so Toothless takes the new tail, flies off. I think he says, like, I'll see you tonight. And that never happens. I mean, Toothless is gone now. And he thinks Toothless is going to come back. But, you know, Toothless is off doing his Light Fury thing that that we're going to get to. Um, and so their their idea is we need to go and we need to stop Grimmel. That's that's the Vikings' so, goal. Just to recap, Toothless used a piece of Dragon Tail to get a piece of Dragon Tail. Ah. <laughs> that's why you're here. Oh, boy. <laughs> so their idea is we have to go stop these Vikings. So Kate Blanchett's character, Hiccup's mom, goes and, and does some scouting, finds that they are heading to Newburgh. Uh, you know, they've been tracking the Light Fury and still trying to get Toothless. Uh, so they go and try to head them off. Big fight scene. They narrowly escape. Uh, you know, uh, this time, like Steve said earlier, Grimmel has Hiccup dead to rights. Similar, you know, he one-upped him, but they were able to narrowly escape. Is it Roughnut is left behind? She's the female? Yeah, Roughnut. Okay. The Roughnut's yeah. left behind, the most annoying character in the oh, animated yeah. series. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So she, I mean, literally, that's her and that's job. that's literally how she, she escapes. Yes. Or she's, exactly. Yeah, she's aware of yep, it. So, so she, <laughs> so she... It's the ransom of Red Chief. What is that? It's a famous short story is it where they uh, they, these people like abduct a child it's an old it's before child abduction was scary and it could be a cute element of a kid's story but they abduct a child and the kid's so obnoxious (laughs) that they give them i don't think i think the parents don't even pay the ransom because they're like good oh jeez like yeah you just keep them and it annoys them to death and okay you're just like oh my god shut up you're so annoying and you realize oh it's exactly what she wants and so she annoys him to death but he again smart i mean this is the like the moriarty to the sherlock i mean grimmel knows what he's doing and he's oh just go already but the whole time he knows well you're gonna lead us right to new burke this is exactly what we need so she she and she hints that she says something about like the new base yeah how all they have is fish i mean she is she's a very dumb funny stupid character though and she has a big mouth and so she, she leads them right to, to Newburgh and so uh, you know she's like you know smell you later peace out and rides off and then Grimmel's standing there with his grimace you know he's, he's ready to ready to go find him um, so this whole time you know they're just freaked out they've got uh, Roughnut is captured before she comes back and you know they want to go find Toothless and, and Hiccup's freaking out over that um, and basically uh uh, oh, there's another flashback at, at this point. So Hiccup is flashing back to the dad, and this is after his mom dies. And, and there's a really nice moment, again, where this is where I'm like, Gerard Butler, Jesus, you can act. Like I think it's just a really touching mm-hmm. scene where he's you know emotional at the fireplace, and, and uh, Hiccup comes yeah. down the stairs. And I think he even has, does he have a Night Fury stuffed animal? It's like I mean, he, has a, he loves dragons. He's loved dragons his whole life, and he's holding a little stuffed dragon toy. But a really nice emotional scene between the two of them. Toothless is gone. Roughnut has led Grimmel back to Newburgh. And 
Grimble's able to take every dragon. So Toothless is the alpha, and all the dragons, as we've seen earlier, follow Toothless. And so they end up capturing Toothless. They capture the Light Fury, and all the dragons are led away. And so you're like, crap, no dragons. They, they've they learned to depend on these dragons so much. Now it's like, what do we do? Uh, Hiccup is feeling like a complete failure. He has kind of throughout this whole movie, and now he's obviously really bummed out. And Astrid goes to talk to him. His mom talks to her and says he listens to you. And again, just a really nice scene, a really nice emotional scene between the two of them. And and she basically says, this is your time to step up. You got to do what you got to do. I don't remember the whole thing, but it's, it's a really nice scene where he realizes that he needs to take charge. He is the king and Toothless does not define him. He loves Toothless. Toothless is great. The dragons are great, but mm-hmm. he can be a great leader and it's his time to step up. And so he eventually, mm-hmm. he ends up making wingsuits like we saw in the previous film. He makes wingsuits for all his people and it's time to go get the dragons back. So he steps up to the plate. Did, did I skip over when they go to the hidden world? Was that before this or is this after? I'm, I just want to make sure I don't, because that's a pretty- It was right before the wingsuit. Right before sequence. the wingsuit. Okay. So before they get captured, I should say, because this is kind of leading right up to the last 25 minutes that we're all speaking so highly of. Um, they try to go get Toothless because Toothless, you know, he's been gone for several days. Hiccup's freaking out. And so him and Astrid leave on their dragon. And to Tom's point, they head in that direction. And just over yonder is right. the hidden world. <laughs> the hidden world. But anyway, so they get there. There's this vortex. They go into this like huge waterfall tornado vortex type thing. And they enter the hidden world. And it's this beautiful, amazing world. Not to take away any credit from them because this is amazing imagery. It's really breathtaking. But I'm just like, this is Pandora. It's very Pandora. I I mean, I've seen it before. I'm just like, it it, would have been that much more amazing had I not seen Avatar. Had I not been on Flight of Passage at Disney World. I mean... There's no, I, I don't, I'm not trying to hate on a, this movie. There's a lot of aspects of my life that would have been more amazing if I hadn't seen Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no debate here. I mean, I saw this and I'm like, this is amazing. I loved it at Disney World. I loved it in Avatar. Right. So not as original as I think they could have been. I mean, they cr- We're still visually interesting. Absolutely. I mean, it's stunning. And Avatar was too. That's just, that's yeah. my, that's my only thing is when, you know, I looked at my wife and we were at this uh, showing a few weeks ago, you know, and I'm just like, oh my God, it's Pandora. And we've been to Disney a few times recently and we always ride that ride and right. it's amazing. I'm just like, yeah, it's that cave that you go in at the flight of passage. It's, yeah. But anyway, so they get to the hidden world. But this, the important thing here, like JD mentioned earlier and we alluded to is we see Toothless and Light Fury in their element. We see all these dragons and up on this pedestal, up on this high rock, you've got, you know, the alpha as, as we've come to discover that all the dragons listen to him. And these two are ruling as basically king and queen of all these dragons. And it's just their natural environment. You see their bond. You see them again, the physical contact. You see how much, how different toothless looks. I mean, here's goofy toothless that we always see joking around and trying to Mm -hmm. dance around and be goofy. And now you see this leader, you see stoic, uh, you know, he looks like a a lion up on the top of a, of, of a rock, you know, and leading his people. And so, um, it really just a different environment, but this is when it really clicks to hiccup that it's like, wow, this is where he belongs. Um, something happens. I don't know. They step on another twig or whatever, but they're discovered, all the dragons, because again, these dragons don't like humans. They're not used to them. They live in this hidden world for mm-hmm. a reason. Um, they all go chasing another great action sequence. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, Astrid and and Hiccup are trying to avoid dying at the hands of all these gigantic dragons who are chasing them. Um, Toothless swoops in to save the day. He rides off. But you also see, like, you see that Toothless is happy to save Hiccup. 
but you also see like that he's leaving, you know, we're, we're, you know, looking back the whole time, like, uh, I, I missed them already. And, and Hiccup realizes it and he talks to him and he says, you know, buddy, I, I get it. Like you don't belong with here. You belong there. And, and it's a, it's a really another really great emotional beat that these movies do between Hiccup and, and Toothless because we have seen this bond grow so much. And at this point you, you realize what it means to him to let Toothless go. So another really nice emotional scene here. Um, the light fury mm-hmm. shows up though. And then this is when I either it's either Hiccup or Astrid like, Oh, well maybe we don't have to go. Maybe we can all live here. Like, Hey, the light fury is here to hang out with us. She will stay, but no, she's there to lead, uh, to lead the bad guys. Cause rough nut shows back up and, they're all there to lead uh, Grimmel right to them. So that's when they capture the two dragons. They take all their dragons. Fast forward, they get the the wingsuits. And this is where the last just half hour is, is awesome. I mean, this is the film really excels not only in the action set pieces. I mean, it's great action, uh, great teamwork with them all teaming up and getting getting their dragons back into safety. Um, and then we get to the, the ending of the movie, which is just fantastic. But um, I thought this looked great. Um, maybe... Tom, did this this ending scene wasn't as dark. There wasn't as, a lot of yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it 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 corrected. That. This was yeah. I mean, this yeah. was like this was perfection. This was you know the camera work was beautiful, wide shots, nothing hidden. Um, but yeah, it's them taking back their dragons and battling. Really good fight sequence. A lot of good comedy interjected. You know, with all the Vikings, uh, with uh, fish legs. You know, and his little baby dragon and then the huge dragon that ends up coming and saving the day so a lot of good comedic elements and all that um and then we get to the real gut punch which jd mentioned earlier uh towards right before the film wraps up which is that uh Mm -hmm. you've got uh hiccup on toothless and you have the bad guy uh chasing after him with his evil dragons and uh as toothless is um Toothless is shot with a tranquilizer. Grimmel shoots a tranquilizer dart at Toothless, and he is incapacitated as Hiccup jumps off of Toothless. Yeah, they, they aren't on the Light Fury at that point. The Night Fury and the Light Fury, both of them are like hung upside down, and they're in these harnesses. Yeah. He gets Toothless free, and he gets the Light Fury free um, and disconnects that harness. Hiccup frees her, but then he says, you have to go save him. And that's when you see this first struggle um, with the light fairy because she's like, uh, but mm-hmm. you're, you're, you need to, you know, and he's just like, go save him. And so another really nice emotional beat where, um, Grimmel is like, you're going to kill us both if you let go. And he has to make that decision. It's either save yep. toothless or save himself. And so mm-hmm. hiccup, let's go. You see the dramatic slow motion drop of both, uh, Grimmel and him falling free fall, slow motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the light fairy goes and at the last moment is able to kind of tackle toothless to safety. She goes and catches him and they both roll off on a, over on a cliff over to the side here. And then as you see both, uh, Grimmel and hiccup falling to their death, uh, the light fairy swoops in and saves them. And it's a beautiful moment. Um, mm-hmm. she has decided, you know, and we see that that bond has grown and, and the light fairy as a character has grown. And so he's saved. Meanwhile, Grimmel's hanging on by hiccups, mechanical leg or his peg leg or whatever you want to call that. Uh, and so of course he loosens it and he falls to the sea. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how it wraps up. And 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 the very the you know so every all the dragons are saved. Grimmel has been dealt with, but now th- this is all leading up to these dragons don't belong here, right? So they're all saved, but like they they need to 
let them go. And more specifically, Hiccup needs to let Toothless go. And so really emotional moment. This mm-hmm. comes from the trailer. You see Hiccup's hand on Toothless's head. You know, it, it's just, it's a mm-hmm. real gut punch because this is what all these three movies have been leading up to and the bond we've seen grown. And he finally is okay with letting Toothless go. As hard as it is, he knows it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. We let them go and they 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 go off. And, and then this is where we get the big time jump, which I think is 10 years later. Uh, something like that. And then again, the reason that they did this Deblois said that he wanted to give time for the characters to grow and to find their own. So that we, we get a chance to see that Hiccup is obviously aged up. Um, he has a family of his own. You know, he's older. He's got his big beard. Uh, and they have two, him and Astrid have two kids. Uh, meanwhile, Toothless and the Light Fury have started a family of their own. They he's no longer Toothless because he has dentures. They, this, is how, <laughs> this is how you know he's older. Yeah. yeah. At the hidden, they have dentists at the Hidden World. <laughs> right. That's not a hidden dentist practice. It's right there we flash forward and so this is what you see in the very first trailer for the movie so not having seen the movie you wouldn't really understand this narration now going back like i was getting chills as i went back and watched trailer one from last year of this movie it is hiccup narrating you know there used to be dragons and even talking about seriously i get chills like this is such an amazing narration and and you just know how much heart Mm -hmm. is behind it he is narrating to his kids about dragons his kids grew up in a world where there's no dragons just like he grew up you know, exactly. hearing about dragons, reading about dragons, but he never saw them. These kids are little hiccup and, and he's there. There were dragons and he talks about their whole story and what they've done. And so they have had, they head out on a ship, uh, Astrid hiccup and their two kids. And I really like what they did. I think any lesser of a writer or a director would make a baby hiccup look just like hiccup baby Astrid look just a bit like Astrid and they yeah. switch it. They have uh, a little girl that has hiccups hair color, a little boy with yeah. blonde hair like Astrid. Yeah. I just liked how they did that. It, it was more of a surprise like, Oh, okay. Yeah. They don't have to look like carbon copies of each yeah. parent. So I thought it was creepy that one of the dragon children look like hiccup. Oh, I thought that is- was a bridge too far. So you think maybe deleted scene? <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, beautiful, beautiful moment. And that's why, like I said, when, when you say stick the landing, like, you know, if, if you could hold up a sign that had 11 on it, as far as the landing of this movie, I oh, mean, this yeah. is, a- I, I didn't care for this last scene. Oh my God. This I, is, oh. I think it takes place too soon. Wow. Too soon. after. But I yeah. mean, you, you realize the 10 year time jump, but you think it's yeah. too close. I think it's, I think it's too soon. Movie. I think it's too soon in the timeline of the movie. Oh. I think I, cause, cause first off, like the whole, like there used to be dragons. Yeah. Like, like 20 minutes ago. Like it's not that like, I mean, they're still surrounded by people who remember dragons. Like it's Based not on the kids, a story. I get that, but they grew up in a world where every single person they know remembers dragons it wouldn't you know what i mean like it's not this long ago far away world it it it's been like you know it's 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 been it's been 10 years it's not that long and so i i don't think dragons would have taken on this mythical this this mythical uh nature that quickly like but there's I, there's still dragon poop like that they could step in. It's not been that long. But I mean like okay, I I get what you're saying, mm. but I mean I think t- the t- kid should have been old. I think it should have been him as an old man explaining it to his grandkids. Oh. Like that I think would have had more resonance, but the but like that whole speech didn't work for me cuz I'm like it hasn't been that long. Like oh. literally every adult they know and even a lot of kids that they know are gonna are going to remember a world where there was dragons. It's mm. not this big giant mystery. 
Teach, like they're making it out to be. Teach their own. I mean, I can't. I, I can't yeah, argue. I disagree. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, fair I, enough. I, I just feel like. I mean, to me, it's a lot can happen in ten years. I mean, especially in our world, which obviously has a lot more uh, as far as social media and the way that news changes. And like ten years to us is rapid, but ten years to anyone, I feel like you can. If you haven't seen a dragon in ten years, like I think of, like I remember Circuit City. I remember uh, Barnes and Noble or Borders. You know, I remember all these stores. I, and I, I used to work at Circuit City, but it wasn't that long ago there was a Circuit City. I can hardly remember it. I worked there, mm-hmm. but like, I just feel like you can grow mm-hmm. and in 10 years, a lot can change. And, you know, these dragons, it's not like, even though there's stories in them, like, I think you can forget really easily. You get tied up in your own things. And, you know, yeah. what, I, 10 years ago to me seems like a lifetime ago. I think it also works because, and again, you know, perhaps it's just in the way that we interpret these films, but for me, this whole series was about not the mythical uh, allure of dragons. It's about coexisting with dragons. That's what this whole series has been about. So for me, when I see that final scene, it's much, much more powerful to see these little kids who haven't seen a dragon of their own. They've only heard about their dad talk about his experience with dragons so as they see Toothless for the first time, of course they're going to be scared. They've never this they've never had this happen to them before. But they see Toothless interact with their dad in a way that alleviates that fear in a lot of ways. They see the coexistence, they see the actual peace that can that can form between a human and a dragon. And that to me is much more powerful than an older version telling his grandkids about, you know, what dragons used to be because for me the series was never about that it was always about coexisting and seeing these little kids actually experience that um i thought was uh i was really resonant especially because of the callbacks to how they touch toothless which is verbatim to how hiccup did it in the first film i thought that was a pretty brilliant touch so Full circle, I, yeah. I, I think it works on an emotional level just in terms of what we see there, but it thematically brings closure to the whole, the whole series. It's yeah. And you know, to each their own, like we said before, but I just, I found it, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was such an emotional scene and him talking to the kids, but also with his friend that uh, much like that lion video I mentioned earlier in this 10 years, uh, a lo- you know, toothless and the dragons have not seen humans. I mean, they've bonded. We saw how quickly they bonded even when they went to the hidden world. And of course he realized, you know, who Hiccup was, but still he was still kind of out in his own headspace and in his own mind, not really thinking as much about um, Hiccup because he's distracted with his own stuff. And so I feel like they've gone and they haven't seen humans in 10 years. They haven't seen dragons in 10 years. And both of them don't quite know like what to think. You know, and are these humans going to hurt me? Are these dragons going to hurt me? Do they remember us? Do we remember each other? Kind of a thing. And uh, I was a really nice moment. And that full circle with uh, the sniffing and, you know, hiccup going right up to him and, and then him remembering him. And the director said in that interview that Kim Renfro did, the director said, like, was it on, was, was Toothless messing with hiccup that was the question right was he like acting like i'm gonna get you and then no i remember you hey buddy what's up and no like deblois said that his intention was that toothless really didn't 
remember him for a second. You know, he just, it, it had been 10 years. It was long mm. enough for him to. That beard threw him off. Yeah. He's like, toothless. Yeah, he looks manly. Exactly. That's, that's not the <laughs> hiccup I knew. But uh, he really wanted it to be like, hey, are you okay? Are you who I think you are? Do I remember you? And then all the memories come back and you have that emotional moment and a beautiful send off with then, uh, you know, uh, each of them is on a dragon. Uh, Asteroid is on the light. Yeah, watching fairy. them ride this dragon at the end. I was like, what an awful parent. Right. Throwing him <laughs> up in the air. I know. I, as a parent, I was nervous for <laughs> I mean, the kids. Was, totally. But I again, I was like you were awful. <laughs> we freaked out when Michael Jackson just dangled a baby <laughs> over a balcony and you're, you're flipping them from dragon to dragon. It's, yeah. You know, I mean, again, this is like one of those stakes where you're just like, obviously nothing's going to happen. So it was fun. Uh, they're switching dragons. They, each of the kids takes a turn and then, you know, they switch dragons, switch kids and, it's just a really touching moment and and I think a really fitting conclusion. I it's a beautiful beautiful one of the I think one of the most beautiful conclusions to a trilogy uh, and I loved mm-hmm. it. So Steve, I know you didn't get yeah, to say I your agree. piece. What did you feel about the conclusion? I mean, you guys pretty much summed it up what I was thinking. I mean, as far as the uh, Tom's point about it not being far enough down the timeline, I you know, far enough into the future, I really just there's no say, there's no there's no evidence that he didn't, you know, introduce his grandkids on the road too. This is just him wanting to be like, "Hey, look, toothless. This is look at these babies. That's what yeah, I made." I just felt like you know? like it hadn't been a long enough period of time. Like like I I just think for me it would have had more emotional resonance if like he went the rest basically the rest of his life without seeing dragons because now it kind of feels like oh they'll probably be swinging by once a week taking dragon rides like it you know what I mean and that. They'll they're, they'll find this new kind of way to coexist, but and I I think I I would have liked it better if it would there would have been I think it would have been more dramatic for me if there had been a uh, a much longer period of time that he went without seeing dragons and that it would have been easier for me to believe that dragons had had fallen into the realm of mythology because in ten years like. You know, you're still 80% of Burke is going to be like, no, there were totally dragons. Like, it's not going to be this big giant myth. I think, but I think it has to be about the kids. I mean, I don't, I totally get your point. I'm not trying to argue. I just, from my point of view, I think it's all about the kids. The, the kids have never seen dragons. Like, if I, if mm-hmm. God forbid, and I don't want this to happen, and I don't, hopefully it won't, but like, let's say lions went extinct. I'm just going to keep using the Christian, the lion analogy. If lions go extinct, I've seen lions at the zoo. I've seen footage. I mean, these people have no TVs, no internet, so they can't even see videos of dragons, right? All they have is stories. But if if lions went extinct, and even though I've seen them and have been around them, and I tell my kids about lions, let's say I couldn't show them pictures or videos, and then they see one in real life, like even though we still know about lions, but we think they're extinct or or we don't know where Mm -hmm. they are or what they're doing, I think to see one in 10 years after never seeing or, or knowing what's happening with lions would be pretty amazing. But for my kids who have never seen them, only heard me talk about lion king of the jungle with these huge manes and the commanding presence and whatever, you know, like I, I, I think a kid would be nervous like these yeah. kids were. I think they'd be in amazement. And then not that you go ride right. lions, but you know, then to especially be able to interact well, with them. You can, but only well, once. <laughs> right. It's yeah. only one. So <laughs> yeah. I, well, and I, and I also don't think it, for them to be where they are supposed to be, so to speak, I don't think that also means that uh, they can't ever see each other. I don't think it's mutually exclusive like that. I mean, we, again, we saw that in Ralph Breaks the Internet as well. Just because Vanellope is in her new game now doesn't mean they can't ever see each other. It just means that they have their own identities and their own places. And it's the same thing here. I don't think 
the ending of the film is suggesting that humans can never see dragons ever again. Like, I don't, I don't think it was ever supposed to veer into that territory as much as it is. And so for me, again, it's all about those ideas of coexistence. It's, you know, him showing his kids these things for the first time. Coexistence is one thing, and I totally agree with you. But to Tom's point, I think what he's saying is that it's only been 10 years, and now that they found each other, he feels like there's going to be a barbecue every weekend. Like, the worlds are supposed to be different. They can live together, but you're still not riding. Now we're back to riding them and training them. And if, if dragons are coming around even to visit, someone is going to think, oh, can we train them? And then we've got how to train your dragon again, and right. we're not Perhaps, we're not doing what the I story. Didn't, I didn't read into the scene that way, but no, and I didn't you know, either. I, we're just projecting like it's inevitable. Yeah. If now we see them, it's not going to be like okay, well we'll see in ten years, like maybe in a year or th- six months. Like let's go visit Toothless, sure, right. and then it's next yeah, week, fair and enough. then uh, we're just writing yeah. the story. But it's like once you take them from being this huge deal, they're separate, and now that they're back together. You can only imagine that now. Well. Now maybe they're going to coexist again. So it, it opens up that door, but I, I didn't take it that way, and I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't either. I, I can see it. I can I yeah. definitely see your point. So, um, But, yeah, that's it. I mean, that, that wraps up the trilogy. And, I mean, is this going to be one of those uh, Toy Story 4 situations, or are we pretty sure that this is conclusively – I mean, I know never say never, but are, are there any words of a fourth one? Is anyone even thinking of it? Or I, My gut tells me that they're done just because it took so long to get this one yeah that you know yeah i it's a perfect ending to the trilogy so i would be completely fine mm-hmm. with never as much as i like them yeah. i don't need to see another but i i will say that i if i don't think we'll get another feature i wouldn't be surprised if you get another netflix show and totally follows his kids a, yeah something. a spinoff yeah. completely but but hiccup and toothless's journey i think has to be yeah. over and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be touched this is a great way to end it they said the same thing about toy and story 3 and here that, we are that's that that's what i was gonna yeah, say i know like, I, don't, I know i don't know <laughs> I, I just don't think that this property is as much of a juggernaut right. for them as toy story is like toy stories that yeah. the and that's the movie that great built point. pixar yeah. yeah and there's still that love where i mean this is great and it has a huge following but it's not on toy story level right where it's associated with dreamworks i mean you know i mean it's not like you can't have dreamworks without how to train your dragon right there's other things whereas Pixar is like, yeah, if we you think could. DreamWorks. It, you think Shrek. The Shrek is what built DreamWorks, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that it was great. So I have a great way to end the trilogy. Awesome. Well, I guess uh, we will wrap this up. And uh, JD, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you and about your show one more time? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks this for being on. This was a lot of fun. You guys can find us at InSessionFilm.com. There you can find links to the show on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Links to social media there as well. Um, and, of course, we have all of our um, our our shows. We have written content like reviews and other featured articles. Um, and, again, all of that is at InSessionFilm.com. Awesome. My name is Steve Kelly. You can find my writings on ReviewSTL.com. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook at the TheGodCavs. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. You can find the show online at Facebook.com slash Real Spoilers or at our website, RealSpoilers.com or on Twitter at Real Spoilers. And uh, while you're on the Facebook page, go ahead and click like, join the League of Show Sharers, and uh, also don't forget our Patreon at Patreon.com slash Real Spoilers. So coming up next week, uh, Greta, I guess? We'll see. That's, I think that's the biggest movie coming out. Movie that looks pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I really like uh, Chloe Grace Moritz, and yeah. uh, it looks creepy. I saw a trailer before 
I don't. I don't think I would have saw it before this. But what was no. that? Oh, uh, Happy Death Day to You. Yeah, because I that was one of the last ones I saw in theaters. I saw a trailer and I'm like, this is creepy. I like yeah. it. This is interesting. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think that's probably the biggest one next week. So okay. that is probably what's uh, on the menu. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, oh, and, and what did you think of the Oscars? Oh, you know me. I don't care. <laughs> All those wins. Were you, were you glad that one person won? I, yeah, I like never watch. I so don't care. Like I'm like, if anything interesting happens, it'll be on YouTube. I don't need to spend four hours of my life watching it. Did I you see. at least like that joke though? Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but not the other one that everyone is so upset about. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so, indifferent. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's it for this one. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, Elliot destroys Dr. Terminus's traveling wagon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.